Hi, a lot of you had a lot of questions about some of the choices that I'm making for my wedding. And a lot of you were super rude about it. That's okay, I'm not going to defend myself. I just wanted to get on here and say thank you to everybody who's actually super supportive and curious about how I'm doing it. W-A-L-T, it's the Midnight Disease. Sam Dingman coming to you on the Electro Voice RE20 via the Mix Pre 3. Friends, I am sitting underneath a pink blanket in the living room of my mom's house in Virginia. <laughs> you know, I, 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 need to, I need to say something here. Before podcasting became something that so many people associate with video. There was less of an expectation that it be a visually arresting activity. You know what I mean? Maybe some of you watch podcasts on YouTube or, or Instagram or whatever now, and you see people set up in their little podcast studios. You know, they have a little neon light in the background that says the title of the podcast in cursive script. And they've got cool posters in the background that kind of reference the pop cultural things that maybe inspire the show. And maybe that studio is optimized for sound quality. Maybe it's not. But it's mainly about creating a visual vibe. And the, the visual vibe in this living room right now that is taking place as I record these words is janky AF. <laughs> Uh, I am I am seated in a chair in the corner of my mom's living room. Um, my arms are straining as I attempt to hold this heavy pink blanket up. It is a flannel blanket, um, and the folds of it are sagging every place my arms are not, and so my muscles are straining as I attempt to sound cool, relatable, and off-the-cuff in this intro, it is hot, and I can't see my notes, uh, which I carefully took to prepare for this, but now can't deliver. And I'm doing all of it because it's the only way to to get you a somewhat decent sound in this house that I love this house, but it was not built to record podcasts in every surface is made of wood. <laughs> it's resonant, and I am stressed out. And, you know, there's another thing that that often stresses me out about recording podcasts here at my mom's house, which is that, as I have made reference to previously on the show, my mom is an artist uh, in multiple mediums, uh, but primarily she takes photographs using strictly analog processes. She does not work digitally very much. She uses old cameras or she makes her own cameras out of things like popcorn tins and shoots her images on film, which she then develops in the wet dark room. And so when you look at one of her photographs on a wall, you are looking at something that other than the light involved <laughs> and, and the presence of some subject, whether it's human or nature, 
everything about that photograph is her embodied in physical form, including the fact that often she has made her own frames and framed the photograph herself. It, it's, it's this artifact of her vision and it, it expresses so much about her. My mic stand right now is resting on a table that she built with her hands. And she didn't go to a hardware store and get wood that would be good to build a table out of to make this table. No, she used recovered lumber that she found laying around the neighborhood. And one of the legs of the table is a baseball bat that I got at a giveaway at a minor league baseball game when I was 11 and swore it was going to be my most prized possession of all time and then never used again. So she turned it into the leg of a table. I'm bringing this up because her her work holds physical space in the world. She makes it and then it demands to be reckoned with. You you see it and it takes up space and it demands to be considered. And as I sit under this blanket, <laughs> I'm just thinking about how abstract my chosen medium is. Podcasting is so abstract which is weird, right? Because, you know, it, it's, it's hack at this point, even if it's true, to talk about how intimate podcasting is. You know, right now you're listening to this, and I could basically guarantee you're not listening to this with anybody else. It's just me and you. You are listening alone, just as I am recording alone. So we're, we're alone, but we're together. It's a paradox. And that, that's the magic of radio, right? That's the magic of podcasting. And yet, this podcast that you're listening to, it, it barely exists. I want to read you guys something, if, if this doesn't feel too cringe, that I wrote on Substack recently. And I, I, I just want to share it because it feels related to this whole idea. And I was just kind of meditating on the state of mind that I get into after I finish making a piece of long-form narrative nonfiction audio. And anyway, th this is what I wrote. I said, I gaze around the studio. Consider the countless hours I have spent in this room, padded thick with acoustic foam, isolating me from the world beyond the walls, speaking into microphones containing hand-built capsules of extraordinary sensitivity, Vibrations fed through preamplifiers, juiced by heavy iron transformers, abuzz with voltage, sculpting raw signal into warm tone. Analog alchemy, transmuted through USB-C cables into visualized waveforms, undulating on a computer monitor. A landscape of symbols rep See, I just dropped my phone because the blanket moved. <laughs> oh my god. All right a landscape of symbols representing a story I did my best to tell. All these heavy hunks of physical equipment designed to capture the fleeting resonance of the human voice. Knobs and dials and numbers and graphical user interfaces purpose-built to cultivate the illusion of control. I speak the words into the gear, move the waveforms around on the screen, I export the file, compressing hundreds of millions of bytes down to tens of millions, and upload it to a content management platform. Somewhere far away, in a low-slung building stretched across a converted cornfield, a server light flickers. The bytes have been received. 
The server hums and beeps alongside thousands of other servers stacked in sleek black rows of identical anonymity. My file gets inserted into a line of code programmed to deliver it to a smartphone. Hopefully someone will choose it from the dizzying assortment of distractions available at their fingertips. So I wrote that on on Substack recently, and you can find that piece if you'd like to read the rest of it at samdingman.substack.com. And by the way, thank you for choosing this ephemeral collection of bytes from the dizzying assortment of distractions available at your fingertips. I'm thinking about all of this because it is among the many fascinating things brought up by my guest on the show this week. Her name is Becky Granger, and she's a comedian. And there's a part in this interview where she talks about the realization that for artists, your body has a a physiological response when you're doing the most authentic version of your work. That as an artist, it can often be so difficult to know which path you're supposed to follow, what, what medium you're supposed to choose, what style you're supposed to express yourself in in that medium, especially as a comedian. You know, are you supposed to do characters? Are you supposed to be surreal and absurdist? Are you supposed to be confessional and real? Um, are you supposed to do stand-up? Are you supposed to do improv? Are you supposed to write? Are you supposed to do sketches on, on YouTube? And those choices can be so overwhelming, but if you can get yourself to just get in the mix and try, sometimes your body just rings with this truthful resonance when you find the most authentic version of your artistic self. And as I talked about that with Becky, I I thought about my own experiences with live performance and and how I, I know something about that resonance. I have felt it before. And I was trying to think, like, have I ever felt that with podcasting? I have this thought sometimes about about the work that I make, where I ask myself this question, like, is the thing I'm making the thing, or is it asking permission to be the thing? Do those questions make sense? I I don't know if I can explain it more than that. It's like, am I expressing myself authentically, or am I imitating a form of expression that others have used to capture their authenticity? And I get lost in this kind of internal mental ping-pong match about that question really easily, especially when I'm, when I'm podcasting. And sometimes that makes me doubt that this is the right medium for me. But then I realize that in spite of the powerful current of intimate direct connection that, that podcasting can enable, it is also a very abstract way to communicate man, it is hot under this blanket. (laughs) All right, so let me tell you a little bit more about Becky Granger, because this is a great conversation that you're about to listen to, I think. What if what if I was like, this conversation, not too good. Um, no, obviously, I, I love all the conversations I have on this show. But what was exciting to me about talking to Becky is that I, I became aware of her work because of this one joke that she tells, which we're going to refer to in the episode as the backflip joke. 
and I'm going to play it for you in just a second because you'll you'll need it as a frame of reference to make sense of the conversation. But this this joke that Becky tells, the backflip joke, it's very funny first and foremost, but it is a very confessional, autobiographical sort of joke. And so I I saw this joke online and I really resonated with it and it made me want to explore her work further and so when I found my way to her TikTok profile and her Instagram page I was surprised at first because they, <laughs> the work that she does there is not very similar to the backflip joke it's also very funny it is also totally original and unique but tonally and stylistically it's it's operating more on the level of satire or character work and improvisation and it's all all really great but it it became clear to me right away that this comedian whose work i was newly enamored of contains creative multitudes and so i invited her to come on the show because i was i was fascinated by by that range and we ended up having this really honest and frank conversation about the sometimes harrowing work of trying to find your voice and how elusive it is, and how confronting it is, and how glorious it is when you get those little physiological signals that you're on the right track. So before the interview begins, I, as I mentioned, would like to play you the backflip joke, because the backflip joke plays a big role in this conversation. I am bisexual, but I also am in a relationship with a man, and we've been together for eight years. Yeah, yeah, two terms. And um, realizing that you're bisexual in the middle of a committed relationship, for me, it was like realizing all of a sudden that you know how to do a backflip, but you can't because you have a boyfriend. Like... That just like doesn't feel like a good enough reason. I want to do my cool new move. Um, but you're still excited about it, so you go to your friends and you're like, I actually know how to do a backflip. And they're like, oh my god, that's so cool. Like, when did you first do one? And you're like, but I've never done one. <laughs> but I know that I can. And they're like, okay, cool. Like, what are you doing later? Like, do you want to do something together? And you're like, I can't, but I do identify as a member of the gymnastics community. That's Becky Granger live on stage in New York City, where she performs stand-up comedy. And when she's not doing that, she's doing comedy on Instagram at BeckDaddyG and on TikTok at BeckDad. And right now, she's on The Midnight Disease on WALT. fiance will mention a ghost around like 9 p.m i'm like stop we don't do that we actually don't invite that here but then in the daytime i'm like what kind of dumb motherfucker believes in ghosts (laughs) so i'm like you know just a coward um a coward who's curious Mm -hmm. yeah that's uh that would be a great name for a podcast a coward who's curious oh uh well becky granger welcome to the midnight disease thank you i'm so excited i'm thrilled to have you um the first question that i always like to ask is 
If you think of this phrase, the midnight disease, and you apply it to your creative practice. Mm. So you could think of stand-up here. You could think of making a TikTok video. You could think of acting. Mm -hmm. um, some ritual that you rely on to get in the right headspace to do that thing. What comes to mind? Oh, what a good question. <laughs> um, I think that for many years I had no ritual. Uh -huh. And I was like flying by the seat of my pants and really confused why – I like couldn't sleep. I was so anxious before this audition or I was mm. so anxious before I was literally just hanging out with funny people I admired. Mm -hmm. And I think that in a collegiate ecosystem, I was like, I'm fucking cool. Right, right. And then I like came to the world and like had a little bit of important people look at me and I got really bugging freaked out. Yeah. And I ignored that reality for a long time but basically I have to work on my confidence mm -hmm. and I was like wondering how much I was gonna share about this because it's like almost embarrassing how nerdy I am about it this is the place yeah so please, I will meet you wherever you are thank you <laughs> um but I I went through a really hard time last year my friend sent me this book called The Confident Mind by Dr. Nate Zinser. Mm -hmm. And this book like changed my life <laughs> because it gave me permission to decide that confidence was something I could cultivate and it wasn't something I you innately do or don't have. I see. Um, he essentially trains like athletes who have like imposter syndrome based on their previous success. Mm -hmm. And that was something I was like always freaked out by is if someone thought it was really funny I was like how the fuck am I gonna do that again right right <laughs> and so I would I read this book and basically followed it like the bible <laughs> like a Christian and I really I've had like the most fun I've had in a really long time I'm so glad to hear that mm -hmm. I'm so glad to hear that if if it doesn't feel uncomfortable to talk about the arc of getting there I'd, I'd be interested in unpacking totally. that yeah um, just to say one, I really resonate with that sense you're describing of, and tell me if I'm misunderstanding, but I think about moments from my own life in comedy where for some reason it was an immaculate night at the bar mm -hmm. and I had had the right number of beers to just go ahead and say impulses that I had mm -hmm. and like correctly read the room for what would be funny to say and give me enough confidence around like other improvisers who I wanted to be cool around. And I would just like crush the bits. Yeah. And then I would be around them again when I was sober. sober right. And I'd be like, I'm sure, I'm sorry. My shirts don't fit. Like I, I don't <laughs> know how to exist in this yeah, space. Yeah. A hundred percent. Is that what you're talking about? Absolutely. And okay. I, and I think actually drinking plays a part into it for me as well. Okay. Uh, and I've had like, an oscillating relationship with that. Not necessarily that I think that I abuse alcohol, but that I feel like it's like such an easy help, right? Yes. It's such an easy help to just like loosen up and forget those feelings and stuff. But in my waking days, I was like, I am afraid. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid to sit at the table and people are literally inviting me. Mm -hmm. And I think that was what was so hard was when I when I got to New York, I, I got signed by a an agency mm. when I was like 23 and it mm -hmm. was a really good agency. I mean, for me, it was like insane. Yeah. Um, I was um, recommended by this casting director and the way my body like cr 
crumbled uh-huh, in under uh-huh. the pressure and just not knowing how to talk to them. And they liked me. They thought I was good. And right. I just didn't know how to talk to them. And they ended up dropping me, mm-hmm. um, I think, because they were they didn't know who I was. I was right. like running from them. So it took I, that shame that I had of like, how did I blow that? Like I blew mm-hmm. that. And I was mm-hmm. just like watching, like I was a vegan. I am a vegan, but I was mm-hmm. watching like <laughs> a ton of vegan videos. And I was just like, I'm like into this right now. Like I'm not really interested <laughs> in looking inward. I just feel like I want to know like what I could put on rice to eat for lunch. Right. And right. so I did that for a really long time. Um, and then I, I was just so unhappy can I say something about that vegan anecdote you just shared? It, it's interesting to me that in this moment where you felt like I've just been trusting my instincts and that got me in a place where I could impress this casting director who would then recommend me to this agency. And then if I'm clocking what you said earlier correctly, you felt like, uh-oh, I don't have the equipment or ritualistic sort of practice to be able to drop into myself, even if I'm talking to people who I don't feel like myself around. Exactly. And then in this moment where that, uh, the implications of that are really felt, you do go to a discipline, but it's slightly displaced. That is such a good point. Totally. Yeah. I was like, I can control this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Totally. I was like, this is like some, I can organize this and I can be, (laughs) I can be really good at this. (laughs) I am making soup. When it's freaking hot outside right, and it right. is good. Yeah. And so I was doing that a lot. And um, I, yeah, I, I think I really did obsess over other things. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest thing was that ultimately I really wanted to be doing stand up. I started doing stand up mm. when I was in college, when I was 18, and I fucking loved it. Like mm-hmm. I did improv in high school and I always had that kind of thing. I, I wonder if you have this feeling. I always had that thing where I was like, I don't know if I got it today. Like, I don't know if I have it. I always had like something like preloaded, like you're not supposed to do. I was like, this will crush if I don't think of anything else. And so I relate to that very much. Yes. And so I, and I never had formal improv training. So I was always like just being funny, but it was, I never knew why it worked Mm -hmm. out or why it didn't. Mm -hmm. But stand up was something I was like, I, well, firstly, if I go down, it's just me. So no pressure. (laughs) And then secondly, I felt like, I could control it, but then it was scary in a way that I couldn't control. So it was, like, Mm -hmm. good in both those ways. So I did that in college a few times. (laughs) I won, like, second place at, like, my college. Okay, okay. And I came to New York, and I instantly got scared. I did, like, a few—I did mics because I had a friend who was, like, basically forcing me to go to mics. And every time I went, I was so afraid. Because I was trying to be so perfect that mm-hmm. I would like not talk to anyone for like three hours beforehand. Mm-hmm. And I was just like running my shit like mm-hmm. a monologue, like a like a soliloquy, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and like it was not a good relationship I had with it. So then I stopped doing stand up. Right. Unless I like op- I did a show for a friend here or there. But every time I did it, it had this like mounting pressure and anxiety, the same the same kind that I treated every time I spoke to my agents. Right. I see. I see. And like was, this is the thing I'm supposed to be good at. Right. This is the thing that I need to be perfect at. Okay. And mm-hmm. uh, because they, because the, everyone is giving me good feedback. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So why am I so afraid? Right. Mm-hmm. And um, so I stopped doing stand up for like a really long time. Hmm. And but yeah. I have, I have a couple questions about this. One is, well, do you remember when you first did it? Let's go back to when you were in college and you first start doing it. Mm-hmm. Are you somebody who, because I've talked to stand ups before who grew up watching it. And we're always like, that looks like flying. Like, that looks like magic. How are they doing that? 
and they like had a bit in their head that they were like, if I ever got up behind a microphone, I know what bit I would do. And then they get up and they do it and they're like, oh my God, it worked. Mm -hmm. Um, What was that moment for you? Like when you first got up on stage and did it, what was the... What was that moment? Well, I will say that I didn't have that relationship with stand-up. I was very much always like, I'm going to be an actor. Mm-hmm. Like, I just mm-hmm. want to be an actor. And I was like, I, li- I liked being funny for sure, but I I never, I, I only did it because my school offered like a workshop hmm. and I did it and I was like, oh no, I really do like this. Like, I don't remember like growing up and like mm-hmm. coveting this idea, right? Right, right. Um, but then once I did, and I honestly, I'm so glad that wasn't recorded because I remember doing like really (laughs) offensive horrible jokes that like you're like I'm 18 like this is gonna kill (laughs) and when I'm 45 can these people handle this (laughs) and it's like and it's like they could because we were all mentally ill back then (laughs) um and it was it was just horrible I think I said horrible things I didn't believe in but there there were a few there were I did a lot of very character heavy like act outs Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I remember doing this one about getting waxed like getting my bikini waxed uh-huh, uh-huh. And um, it is so unfunny when I think about it, but it I remember it playing really well and being like, this is like a feeling I cannot. Th- this is drugs. <laughs> yeah, I like I like the way this does feel. Yeah. Um, and then and then that was the first one. And then I did another one my junior year of college. And I remember basically kind of accidentally doing like a pretty bad Maria Bamford <laughs> like impression, you know, sure. um, and I didn't I certainly didn't do that intentionally, but I just really loved her. And yeah. uh was inspired by the intense thing she mm-hmm. does. And mm-hmm. I really just loved that feeling. And then I totally ran away from it because I was like, what if I can't do it again? So when you came to New York then and you were having these more scripted um, attempts mm-hmm. at doing stand-up, were you – what what were you scripting? Was it the same – were you also – were you scripting like heavy act-outs? Were you scripting uh, – Bamford-esque bits <laughs> where did your did what you were scripting change from the impulse you were initially following that's a good question I don't know I feel like I I was sort of just like doing that thing where me and my friend when I I think I was like 23 or 4 at the time and mm-hmm. I was just like we were just like following each other around and being like that's funny write that down just uh-huh. just hanging uh-huh. out yeah and so it shifted more into like some observational stuff with like some act outs and stuff but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so funny to be talking about this right now and because I am so deeply flattered to be here because I feel I'm flattered that you're here. I just because I feel incredibly beginner like I feel like even though I've had a really long relationship with stand up I think this year is the first year that I've got it Mm -hmm. really just been like this is actually what I'm up to Mm -hmm. and uh, so it's so funny to be kind of asked my process because it's so being created as we speak that I mean, selfishly for the podcast, that's really exciting. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad. Um, and I hope you feel comfortable to uh, explore it because, you know, I have no expectation that you will have f- um, well-honed answers totally, yeah, yeah. to this. Um, I'm really interested in – I am somebody, just to tell on myself, that example I gave earlier of a hypothetical person who like watched stand up growing up and was like, that looks like flying. Mm -hmm. What must it be to do that? I, I would like to think I could do that, but could I, but could I, um, that is me. Like I have had those conversations with other people, but I resonated with them because that's how I feel about it. Right. So 
And I imagine that a significant number of the people who are listening to this feel the same way. So it will be very, I think, enriching for them to hear about cool. you kind of in the moment. With yeah, that. that's great. Just to make you feel like you don't have to be have perfect answers. Um, in that vein, I wanted to ask you about, I discovered your work through your backflip joke, um, which I won't ask you to do here. Thanks. Um, <laughs> but I, I think I'll... But I might play it in the intro sure. if that's cool um, so people could hear it. I wanted to ask you if you're comfortable talking about it, about your development of that joke in particular, because I had a very big response to it, which I will tell you about uh, later. Exciting. Um, but tell me about how you arrived at that joke. That's great. Um I will just like zoom out really quick and mm-hmm. say that this year I basically because last year I was so unhappy and I t- did the confident mind and I used it toward a- towards acting and it was like changed my life with acting and I felt like wow I feel good about this stuff Mm -hmm. let's use it for stand-up because that's actually like that's ailing me that I'm not getting back to it and I know I'm supposed to Mm -hmm. so I basically was like January 1st baby we're hitting the gym it's our new year's resolution and we're going to do a mic every month and instead I ended up doing like 20 a month I don't know Maybe, maybe not 20 but a lot I was doing like five a week yeah and um I've been incredibly obsessive, so I think any time I had any kind of idea, I've been attacking it because I really love the math of words and, like, Mm. what's funny if you move this here. Like, I love it technically. I love Mm -hmm. even when it's not funny yet, and I know it's funny because I think it's so fun to figure the puzzle out. And I think that's why I've had such a good time this year is because I'm not funny all the time yet. And so I'm, like, (laughs) I'm just really enjoying the process of getting funnier mm-hmm. and I my sexuality had been something that I had deeply pushed down right at, I had an experience in 2019 that I you know thought okay whoa and then I said actually I don't want to deal with that I'm not gonna talk about <laughs> it and I actually I'm fully straight and I love my boyfriend <laughs> and then um time kept passing and People started asking me just based on things I would say, hmm. and in particular, one of my one of my besties, um, PJ, uh, who actually I have a podcast with. Um, yes, yeah, uh, I listened to a little bit of it. It's great. oh, amazing! Thank you so much. Yeah, um, she was a huge part of me, basically just like dealing with the fact that mm. it's true and it's fine, and mm. there's room for it. And so I think, weirdly, Dead Horse, my podcast, was, like, kind of a way that that ended up coming out just because someone was asking me. And TikTok also was deeply asking me. Uh That algorithm is like, hey, do you have anything you want to talk about? And I was like, no, but I'm going to keep scrolling. Yeah, no, it knew. (laughs) And so once I was like, okay, yes, this is true. Because I think I I knew myself, like, fully, like, end of 2021, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't exactly remember, but... It was just on my mind a lot because I was starting. I was starting to feel comfortable enough that I was talking about it on the podcast, and so sorry, so <laughs> long winded. But when no, I, no, it's all right. People will have heard the joke, so right. I think this will be interesting in terms of like how did okay, we get good. to that moment. <laughs> so um, I was like, I knew I wanted to be talking about being by, and I was like, but how is that interesting because there's nothing I can do about being bi right now in my current relationship in the current boundaries that we have set there's nothing like there's nothing I can do about it I can't act on it so what does that feel like so I kept mm. I kept being like it feels like a dumb little 
thing I have in my pocket no one needs. Like, it just feels like this little secret no one's asking to hear about that's, like, kind of burdensome. Yeah. And and I was like, that's, yes, yes, but is that really what it feels? And, and I was like, it feels like this weird ability. Like, I am just so certain I know I can do. And I was just trying really hard to think of, like, what kind of ability would be a good metaphor for, like, it would be fucking awesome if I did that, but no one needs me to do it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> no one needs me to do it, but I really want to try. And so basically I attacked it very, like, pumped full of uh, my prescribed methamphetamines and just, like, <laughs> what is working? What is funny? Is this funny? No. Like, is this funny? No. And, uh, yeah, it was just, like, big trial and error. And when you say you attacked it, is that at open mics or on the podcast? Uh, no, I – so I have <laughs> – I have a desk job where I can do a lot of writing at the desk. So I'm Love those desk jobs. I am just mm-hmm. I'm just there like plugging in things and seeing and then yeah, I would try them. I would try different okay. different mm-hmm. metaphors at open mics, but um that was a lot of trial and error privately. I think I'm working on getting looser. Like I'm working mm-hmm. on like being looser and trying more things. In the beginning of the year I feel like I was very much like this is wrote i know this i know what i'm gonna say because i'm so afraid of these people and so yeah i feel like i was trying it more so by myself got it yeah got it yeah 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 um what did it feel like this is gonna be a weird question you're sitting at your desk job and you're writing out various approaches to this material what did it feel like when you knew you were on to something uh or how did you how did what what signals did you did yourself give yourself <laughs> when you were like that I want I'm going to try it this way you know what I actually remember pretty specifically now because I had tried a few things in just in a word document right I was just typing things out I actually was like so addicted to trying to figure out what it was because I knew it was I really thought it was going to be funny and I was laying in bed I was actually falling asleep and it woke me up <laughs> Wow. It woke me up. I was like, a backflip. That would be so funny. Okay. And I, it was one of those moments where you're like, I got to take my phone out, but I'm so tired. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I made myself write it down because I'll forget everything. I have the worst memory of all time. And so I wrote it down and then I tried it the next week, I think, wow. or that week. And it did work. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um. So as you're talking about that, I'm hearing you say a couple of different things. One is that this was this truth about yourself that you had some resistance to, trepidation about, uncertainty about, like it felt volatile in this way. And then you come up with this idea of talking about it on stage. And if I'm hearing you right, it somehow gives that volatility a container. Yeah. Was that new for you in comedy? I think so. I think that if you see my TikTok and other things, I think it would be really hard for someone watching to know what I actually think about stuff. Yes. <laughs> which I really like to do. Yeah. And so talking about something I really feel and, I mean, who I like was mm-hmm. not comfortable, but it ca- it was feeding me for some reason. And I, and I really wasn't – and I don't knock anyone who does this. I really wasn't doing this to, like, say something or, like – Um, although I'm loving when people do reach out and they say that like, actually this rules, like I didn't even couldn't Mm -hmm. put words to this, like that feeling is crazy. And I never thought it would happen to me, Mm -hmm. but I really just did it because I was, the idea was just like, 
interesting and I thought metaphors about it were funny to me. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I was just like, I just want to be funny. Yeah. Um, and I actually now I'm like moving away from that because I'm like, I'm not trying to be like the bisexual comedian. <laughs> it's like right. I want to be I am more. <laughs> yes. Um, but what was your question? Well, you answered it. Okay. You answered it. It was was dealing with something volatile. Yeah. That was true about your real life in a non-character way. Totally new. New for your comedy. Um, And then you mentioned TikTok, which I think is fascinating. One of the things I think is really interesting in looking through your TikTok is a lot of times you get comments from people who are like, (laughs) is this real? Like, I can't tell if this is real. Oh, I love it. Which is, uh, there's a whole separate conversation there. But I think it speaks to this interesting thing about you as a performer, which is that you have an acting background and you're also doing comedy and great acting is to convince somebody that you are completely different than, maybe not completely different, but that you are not what you are presenting. Mm -hmm. And great comedy, I think, is a controlled presentation of the true self, uh, Mm -hmm. like where there is not really very much artifice at all. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you agree with that framing. Interesting, yeah. Um, But this is such an interesting example to me of a person having to hold both skill or being able, I should say, to hold both talents. Totally, totally. Do you think of them differently? Totally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think even I took a Meisner uh, year uh, over Zoom mm-hmm. at uh, Terry Knickerbocker Studios, and um, that changed my life acting-wise. Mm-hmm. And what I learned from that, I'm not sure what your training background is, but for me, like, college didn't really I feel like I was just like I felt like I was always coasting on like what I say what I always say is a really really excellent mimicry is what it felt like (laughs) I was doing and like people were like we love that and I was like there's nothing going on inside (laughs) like I but I didn't even know how to personalize things Mm -hmm. to that level because I was such a people pleaser Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that I was like well I can look however you need me to right now Mm -hmm. but anyway so Meisner training taught me that taking things personally mm. and letting things truly land on you and, like, be getting sensitive and getting hurt, something I'm really good at doing, <laughs> um, was something that you need to do. To be a good actor, you have to respond authentically because if you don't have your own perspective, you're just basically like, well, if you, the dad yells at the son, the son should be sad. But it's like, you don't know. Right. The son might think it's funny. Right. You don't know. Yeah. Um, and so that was huge. And then I think with stand-up, it's like, you have to have a bit of a callus, I think. Yeah. That protects you and you can't – You, I don't think you should take things as sensitively, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so I sort of struggled, yeah, like you said, carrying those two things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I have the most fun doing the videos where I'm acting very sincere. Yes. And I've had people be like – I'll, I'll do a joke like that. I remember doing a joke to someone where I was just like, no, that's not true. What are you talking about? And he was like, wait, you're just lying to me. That's not funny. You can't just lie. And I was like, oh, I do think that is funny. <laughs> like I do right, right. I do think it's funny if a thousand people comment and they're like, this bitch's wedding is going to be so bad. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, I need you here. I love you cluttering my yes. my page. I like love it. Yes. I really get fed off of that because they have no idea who I am. And so I feel no, I don't feel bad about it at all. Right. I will just say for the listeners, this is a reference to a bit that you do on TikTok where you play 
this woman who's like recently engaged and is like, we're going to do things a little differently at our wedding. And I'd like to tell you about it because I, I, unsaid, but I feel like implied is like, I feel like you might find it like inspiring to like think for yourself. And then you have all these, the, the things you're doing differently are very unhinged. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the vibes are so chill and calm. So chill. Yeah. So chill. Um, this is, uh, I wasn't expecting us to go here yet, but since we're talking about TikTok, what I take away from your TikTok that I think you're doing like just masterfully oh, is exposing the batshit behavior that people engage in on TikTok in exchange for engagement. Right. Um, and my favorite example of this is you have this video that's like it's notionally the second video that is made by a woman who made a video about her fiance cheating on her. Where she exposes him for cheating. I literally can't remember. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what do I say? <laughs> well, the idea, as I took it, is she made this other video, which we have, we we as your audience haven't seen, mm-hmm. where she like caught her fiance in the act of cheating, mm-hmm. and she posted it, and she got this huge. She got like all these subscribers. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Duh, and, duh, duh. And now she's making her second video, and she's like, I don't know what to say. And she's like, I work for a weapons defense contractor, <laughs> which is hilarious. Um, but it's it's a brilliant bit because it's like, why would you do any of this? <laughs> like, why would you do any of this? I love it. People really are just like showing their whole ass. Yes. And like, they're like, well, I mean, I get it because it feels real good to go viral. Like right, it just right. does. And I wish it didn't, but, mm-hmm. it does. but it does. So I think that's a huge part of it. I think that I love making fun of the videos that I accidentally am watching completely with sincerity. Mm -hmm, Like, I'll mm -hmm. be watching a video that's, like, 10 things I did for, you know, my 2023 wedding. And I'm watching it like it is the fucking Oscars. Like, I am tuned the fuck in. (laughs) And then I I almost do it to make fun of myself, kind of. Because Uh I watch those videos like a true patron of the arts you yes. know so I, I feel like when i'm making those i'm like i'm i'm almost making fun of myself for watching them and also because when because i know how addictive they are to watch mm-hmm. because i also like love to watch like oh i want to see what this list is about yeah. and if you and then people will engage and they'll go through and be like wait is this real like this is getting so weird <laughs> so you have to like hook them with the thing they're already addicted to watching yes so my question about that is when you're playing, say, this woman who uh, theoretically at some point recently posted this video exposing her fiance for cheating. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're like getting into characters, one of these unhinged people, are you approaching those characters like you would approach a character in a script? Are those bits written down ahead of time or do you just kind of like get an idea and – turn mm-hmm. on the camera and see what comes and then decide later to post it. How do you, what's I, that? I think for TikToks, I've been very lax about it. Mm-hmm. Like it'll mm-hmm. just be like a, I just try like a hundred things just recording it. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel, yeah, it's like, it's like the comedy thing where it's like the callus is thick. I'm not here. Uh-huh. It's not sensitive. I'm just talking. Mm-hmm. Um, and Yeah. And, and with that one in particular, I just thought it was so funny that people, are so excited with their part two new platform, <laughs> you know? <laughs> They're like, what am I going to do with, like, my new voice? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, girl, we don't we don't know or want your voice. <laughs> and I just thought that was so funny. So, yeah, when I was – when I started recording for that, it was totally 
Yeah. Just whatever. I think you you just said something, though, that um, feels related to all of this, which is, like, in real life, if that character, this woman who posted the fiancé video and is now making the second video, let's assume that's a real person. She, what you're making fun of, I think, is she thinks that people watched the first video because they care about her. Yeah, totally. And they don't. Yeah. They just think it's amazing that the first video she posted exists and they told their friends about it at the bar, they will never think about her again. Never. But she, for a moment, felt like she mattered. Yeah. And her story, it's very sad, actually. It's actually super sad. <laughs> it's so dark. Yeah. Um, but you said this fascinating thing in passing and talking about how you do it, which is, I'm not there. You said, mm -hmm. like, I'm not here. Like, there's a callus. There's, like, a comedy callus. Mm -hmm. And there's no person behind the callus. Yeah. But then if we go back to the backflip bit... Mm -hmm. You are there. Oh, yeah. So I wonder, like, which of those feels more like the art that you want to be making, oh, if that makes sense. That's a good question. It's one I've thought about a lot. Mm -hmm. Well, firstly, after I posted my backflip uh, <laughs> video, I got so much d discourse on mm. my comments that I was, like, not interested in. Yeah. And uh, mean, 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 mean stuff. And I'm I was like, oh, that. yeah. I was like, I forgot that could totally happen. Because right. every time I get mean comments, it's not actually about me. So I, like, totally forgot mm -hmm. that that sucks. And mm -hmm. I was feeling mad vulnerable. And it actually, for a few days, I was like, dude, I wish I didn't post that. Like, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but then as time passed, I was like, no, I'm proud of it. It's okay. Um, that just was, you know, vulnerable. And it's all right. I think I'm most excited about – maybe excited is the wrong word. It's weird. I feel like I'm most proud of the weird thing I'm doing on TikTok on mm -hmm. some way mm -hmm. because I, I, I don't know what it is really. And I, every time I nail it, I'm like, okay, thank God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then with stand-up, I think I'm, I'm just so excited. I'm so alive. I feel so like physiologically fulfilled doing stand-up, mm. um, like just mm -hmm. like performing. Right. Um. And I'm so excited by the words and figuring out the words. Um, I think a marriage of the two would be amazing. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I'm quite there yet. I feel like right now I'm I'm sort of making fun of things that I'm experiencing. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's groundbreaking. I think I'm just – I'm really just figuring it out, figuring yeah. out what my thing is. Whereas I feel like on TikTok it's easy to sort of build that thing accidentally. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Well, and – it's it's interesting the way you're describing this because you have talked about since we started talking, you have talked about stand up with this I'll call it like a humility, like this sense of this takes a long time. I'm still just meeting people. I, I've been interested in this for years, but it's only really been a year of doing the thing. I know I have a long way to go. There's this it seems like instinctive idea that that's a different, longer road. Whereas TikTok is like I mean, as we were talking about before we started recording, you could put something up and it could go nuts and then you could put the same thing up the next day and nobody watches it. 100%. And you seem to have, if I may, a healthy relationship with the, the <laughs> absurdity of that. <laughs> yeah. And like, it's not really like there's anywhere to climb necessarily with TikTok. Like, yeah, because either... you can explode and then die the next day. And I, I think that's a, I think that's really is how I feel because I think the art of stand-up or like mm -hmm. the, the craft of stand-up I am like clinically obsessed with mm -hmm. and I watch videos all the time. I'm constantly listening to sets. Like it's something I really want to be good at. Mm. I 
listening to your sets? No, other people's. Other people's yeah. sets. Yeah, I, I do listen to my own, and, mm-hmm. and I, I write them out um, to, like, see what worked and didn't. But I'm constantly listening to better stand-ups because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I'm – I want to learn. And I think I've really neglected TikTok a lot because I I find it's like me like going through psychosis in my bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) I don't always love that experience, you know, and I and I Uh find it really hard to do both at the same time. I don't know how people are doing 100 things like Mm -hmm. I find it really hard to like even remember the question you just asked me. So I'm very impressed when people can like write a screenplay like Mm -hmm. I'm trying Mm -hmm. to do all these things. But I feel like right now stand up and like just getting funnier because I don't expect to be a good stand-up until Mm -hmm. I'm like many more years in. Right, right, right. Like 10 more years in. Mm -hmm. And I think this year I've sort of accepted the fact that I'm really interested in doing that. So the other thing I hear in that is TikTok is, as you've described it, not really a discipline. It's sort of an impulsive, periodic burst. Yeah, but stand-up is a discipline. You've already talked about writing at your day job, um, waking up in the middle of the night to make notes, um, listening to your sets and other people's sets, going to – planning to go to one open mic a month and going to 20 instead. Like there is this making the best vegan soup energy <laughs> Totally <laughs> to it. Oh, totally. Let's go back to this book, The Confident Mind. What is it in the book that drove your – refreshed approach to stand up. So he he argues that basically negative thinking is like a cyclical neurological pathway that is like forged because you keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And the only way to stop is to basically like start going to the gym uh mentally, right? Mm-hmm. And a huge thing that you can do is affirmations and not in the way where you like YouTube something and you're like, why don't I feel better after Mm -hmm. I did this? Mm -hmm. It's writing personal goals that really perfectly encapsulate the thing that you maybe want to get better at Uh and get more confident on. Mm -hmm. Like a great example he has is that you can't say, I never hit the tennis ball outside because it's mostly about um, sports. I never hit the tennis ball right outside of the line. I never hit them out of the court. Because the brain will associate never with a negative thing. Mm -hmm. So you have to say, I always hit it just inside the line. Hmm. So it's a very specific chemistry Uh of words, right, that, like, affect your brain. Uh And learning that, I feel like I just, like, was so intrigued by that idea that Mm -hmm. I wrote a list of, like, things that I want and, and, and how I could positively and specifically get them. And I would say them to myself every day. And I watched, like, my self feel lighter and more excited and I felt myself like tackle things like I was so afraid to do open mics before and now I was like yeah I am afraid but I'm having but I'm actually having fun being afraid rather than uh-huh. being so afraid I'm I'm not coming back. Right. Would you feel comfortable you don't have to feel comfortable sharing the words that you said uh, for yourself? There's like a lot. Okay. I can think of one. Um one is I trust myself in every situation. Mm. That just came to mind. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. One is I'm a great joke writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, just like simple things where mm-hmm. you're just like, no, I am. Yeah. Because it's so be, – I think being an actor, when I was in college, I was like, guys, it's not that serious. Like, why is everyone so into, like, self-help? Yeah. And then I got here and I was like, oh, no, no. Like, <laughs> I need that, like, injected into my bloodstream. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, 
uh, the delicate dance of your of your psyche was something that I didn't know was going to be a huge part of my story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And because um, the self-talk was bad, Sam. It oh, was yeah, so yeah. bad. It was like, hey, Becky, guess what? You're a fucking idiot. Totally. <laughs> like, <laughs> totally. Just to join you in that, like, I'm 41. When I turned 40, I started saying, I didn't, I guess this is a confident mind thing that I was doing without even realizing it. My negative self-talk was uh, everyone's doing you a favor. Like, and it's creative. Mm-hmm. This the negative self talk is creative. So the positive self talk has to be creative. Yes, you know. Yes, yes, yeah. So, and what was behind that? Everyone is doing you a favor. Was like nobody actually likes your work. Nobody like really wants you to be collaborating with them on this project. Um, nobody thinks you're talented at all. They're taking pity on it's you. It's sneaky. And so what I started saying to myself is, you are forty years old. You are by any definition. A grown-up person. Mm-hmm. You're not – there are things you are still figuring out, but, like, you should be in this room because you're an adult. Right. You're not, like, a tiny, helpless baby person who people are like, ooh, he needs he needs a hand. It's like you know things. You know things. Yeah. Not everything, but many things. Exactly. And those are – that's, like, such a beautiful encapsulation of what it can do, right? Just to say – I am 40 years old. Like, that is worthy and meaningful of other things. Mm -hmm. Like, I just had so much trouble believing I deserved a seat at the table. And Mm -hmm. especially when people Mm -hmm. were were beckoning me there. And so it was like, I felt like so much shame about that. And now it's like, I actually do know I deserve a seat at the table. Um, And I'm just waiting for the next opportunity I get it. Mm -hmm. Another, a, a very similar one I had, I'm 30 and I... I've a lot of the people that I'm buddies with now and doing mics, but they're all like 24, yeah. <laughs> which, you know, it's it feels like a big difference just because there's a lot of growing that happens totally. in those years. Mm-hmm. And one of my affirmations also is like, I am so glad I am doing this exactly when I'm doing it. Mm. Oh, that, that one lands. Yeah. That and it, lands. and it's been really helping me because it's so easy for me to be like, Becky, you should have kept doing stand up when you first started, when you mm-hmm. first got to New York. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I think I had. I uh, sure, mm-hmm. but I, apparently I had other stuff I had to do first. Yeah, and now I'm this person attacking it, and I I'm glad. The one I tell myself all the time is, "You're too late." A hundred percent. And it's so easy to fall into that trap, and it's just simply not. I think it. The only thing I could think of that is like that story is like an athlete who like blows their knee out. Right. Right. And that is devastating. When I hear about that, that really breaks my heart because that is actually too late. Right. And I think for creatives, um, we decide that arbitrarily and it's not even true. Yeah. Plenty more to come with Becky Granger on The Midnight Disease. We'll be back after a short break. You're listening to WALT. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, 
so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is what came up for me when I I watched the video of you doing that joke. I wrote this down. I want to make sure I don't get it wrong. You were revealing so many things about the nature of desire, the nature of community, the nature of commitment in a romantic context. And it also made... So I have been in my life... um, in two very long-term relationships with women who realized that they were bi and uh, ultimately decided that they wanted to have long-term relationships with women instead. And I, in watching you do this bit, understood, I don't want to assume that their experience was the same as your experience, but it felt like it unlocked what it must have felt like for them to be in this relationship with me where at the time all I could think was like I support your journey I don't want you to feel like you can't be who you are but like why does that have to come with the expensive <laughs> right, right, being right. in love with you oh god totally and so I you know I had that response for myself and that was all I could really see for a long time mm-hmm. and your joke all of a sudden I felt like that must they must have felt a version of what Becky is saying every day yeah. Every day they must have felt that. Mm-hmm. And like I almost – I'm not really in, in touch with them anymore. So, I, But like I almost wanted to send it to them oh and be God. like, I get it. Yeah. I get it. So I don't know. I just wanted to reflect to you that it's really profound what you're getting at in that – for me. Yeah. Uh, what you're getting at in that joke. Um So thank you. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean I'm like so touched to hear that truly. But for the the purposes of like thinking about it as a craft, what I what I think I was also really drawn to is it was doing this thing that I think maybe only stand up can really do, mm. which is that you said so much about these very very serious things, but it's funny, <laughs> like and so it instantly felt safe to think about these things that have like. Thinking about the kinds of issues and living the issues that you're talking about in that joke has, like, actually derailed my life. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah, has, yeah, yeah. Uh, been part of some of the darkest chapters for me and the people that I was with at the time, like, deep sadness and resentment and betrayal and all these really, really heavy things that ordinarily it's like, I don't want to think about that. Yeah. But stand-up gives things like that Packaging, kind of. Yes. Yeah. That is like, oh, thank God, like, we can acknowledge yeah. that this is real and that it's hard. Yeah. I guess I wonder, 
do you have a sense, I get, this is my long-winded way of asking, when you do stand-up, do you have a sense that you are touching this, like, live wire of artistic potential that can, like, contain all th- this multitude of human reaction? I think no. I think my goal is always to just be funny, and that's what I was talking about. Mm-hmm, so when mm-hmm. I hear anything like this, I'm like really blown away that mm-hmm. it could do that because mm-hmm. for me it was a dumb little joke that woke me up from my right, sleep. Right, right, and so right, when I right. hear like people, I mean these women, these men, lots of people are mm-hmm. DMing me saying like I haven't even told I've told no one and I couldn't mm-hmm. even put word, I couldn't even think through it, which me too. I also couldn't think through it. I fully mm-hmm. like didn't deal with it. Mm-hmm. And then I, I I think a lot of why I talked about it so much this year this year was because I was actually grieving. Like I was grieving Mm. the fact I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. And that's my choice, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. the, that's my situation. Right. Um, Not going to do the backflip. Right. Mm -hmm. And my partner is incredibly supportive. Like Mm -hmm. he frankly would probably be okay with it, but I have a lot of feelings around what I'd be comfortable with. And, Mm -hmm. um, and, and because of a situation that did happen, it's like, I don't want to, basically like open Pandora's box kind totally. of whatever mm-hmm. and I was really sad a lot of the year mm-hmm. just kind of realizing I couldn't do that and I think there's a grief right there's a grief that yeah. I think my partner goes through where he realizes like he is this accidental uh b- barrier for right. me to figure mm-hmm. that out and he feels bad like it I totally feel for you and I, I've heard a lot of stories like that and so I think doing stand-up was just because it was on my it was on my mind and I guess it was a way for me to deal with that grief, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I don't think I'm done with it. I may never be done with feeling sad about that. I'm sad that the world and my parents and the, everybody just like didn't help me right. <laughs> or right. let me, but I am really still grateful for the the universe trajectory I'm on. Yes, yes. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm I'm always really drawn, I guess what I want to say is, to art that is clearly connected to things as non-artistic as the issues that you're describing mm-hmm. and still succeeds so much at just being art. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that's the dream. Right? Yeah, like, totally. That's the dream. So I, was, I don't know. I was pretty stoked when it worked out. Yes. <laughs> I was pretty yes. stoked. Yeah. And um, there are like a lot of tags and like prefaces to that particular Mm -hmm. joke about like, you know, like how um, my parents like maybe knew when I was little and like um, I came out to my dad last year Mm -hmm. and then I've been doing this joke because on my birthday I sent him the joke that went viral (laughs) this year and I was like, check it out. And he was like, are you bi? And I was like, did you fucking forget? Oh no. (laughs) He was so chilly, just fucking forgot. So I've been doing jokes about that because I think that's really funny, but Uh it was like super mean, but really funny. (laughs) Um, And so I was just like trying to like get every like little bit out, but yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate you saying that by the way, all of that. Oh, uh, thank you for making something that (laughs) created a space to talk about it. Um, It's interesting what you just shared, it's tempting for me to make a connection between the idea of, like, your dad being so chill about it that it, like, left his mind. Yeah. Well, like, that's what I was talking. Yeah, that's how I yeah. framed it. Where I was like, I guess you you really did love Rachel Maddow. Like, it's not a big deal to you. 
<laughs> well, it's tempting for me to make a connection between that and these, like, like the recently engaged woman that you play on TikTok, who's like, I'm so chill that, like, I'm not even noticing the absurdity of the thing I'm saying. <laughs> right, 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 right. Totally, totally. Like that, um, it makes me wonder if there's a way in which, like, there is actually something deeper coming out in that joke mm-hmm. from within you mm-hmm. than anybody. Even know. me. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But the other thing is, isn't it interesting that by telling this one joke that is like super real and super vulnerable, you then get the comedic benefit of all these other tags that are associated with it. It's like if, you, if you're willing to like, I don't know why I'm going to use this extremely violent metaphor, but like if you're willing to pull the pin out of the emotional grenade, right? it explodes and then there's like joke shrapnel everywhere. Totally. And I think, I mean, I, 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 I'm thinking about Rosebud Baker. I like her. Yes. And she, mm-hmm. she talked about a lot about her miscarriage mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. she had a an abusive ex you know and 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 how she had so many funny jokes about that and mm-hmm. i think if you are willing to talk about it and no one i think no one is obligated obviously yeah. but if you are i think if you if you get the like the genesis of mm-hmm. the first bit i think there's always there's just a million things you could do yeah with something that was hard yes this makes me want to ask Something I really appreciated about your performance in I Digress is you're playing this character who is having a really hard time getting over her ex. Mm -hmm. And she's doing all these things going on online dates and trying to like stand out at her office and stuff that are absurd. Mm Mm-hmm. That like abs- like there's this whole great scene where you have this like ridiculous uptight boss who's like I want to run a new hashtag by you guys, <laughs> and you say to the boss, um, "What if you spelled the hashtag differently?" And he's like, "Ooh, I like this." And then it's like, "Oh my god, I'm gonna get a promotion!" And it's so absurd. Yeah, yeah. It's so absurd, and it's it's very funny. Uh, but you play that scene earnestly. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're commenting yes. on the absurdity of it. And a different type of comedic performer, their performance would contain the comment. Mm-hmm. But what you chose to do, and I guess this is a question, mm-hmm. what it seemed to me like you chose to do is to just truthfully embody the idea that she thinks like, this is my moment. Yeah. Like, it's going to happen. We're going to respell the hashtag. I'm going to get a promotion and maybe the super objective is like, and I will get over my ass. Right, right. And that's and that's it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you're so good at like correcting my code. <laughs> oh, no. Um because um okay, so before I had gotten really back into stand up right now, mm-hmm. this year, I have been like in workshops and um just like scenes for casting directors like to show them who I am mm-hmm. I always wanted to do a funny scene mm-hmm. and I would always do one and my favorite characters to play were ones who were and I would always say just like like so earnest mm-hmm. and so trying it was always my favorite thing of like mm-hmm. someone who's like maybe like really panicking and saying the wrong thing but like they fucking are trying really hard mm-hmm. that's always been my favorite thing to do in this in an acting scene mm-hmm. 
And I guess that sort of translates into some of the stuff I'll do on TikTok because it looks like they're earnest, right? They're trying to do whatever they're trying to do and they don't know that it's weird. I don't remember how you phrased your question, but you are totally on to that. I like that. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Uh Uh I really enjoy someone who's trying and failing. So that feels related to me to this thing that comes up all the time on this show and that I would love to get your thoughts on, which is this tension that I think is at the core of wanting to be an artist and what it takes to to be a great artist, which is so many artists are people pleasers. And my version of people pleasing, you can tell me what yours is, is this like they're doing you a favor. Mm-hmm. They're, they're kind of taking pity on you by paying attention to you. So give them what you think they want. Yeah. Dance for them mm-hmm. in the way that you think they're asking you to dance. And your reward will be that they will continue to take pity on you. Yeah. And I feel like I didn't make anything creative that I felt at all proud of mm-hmm. until I found a way to instead be like, well, this is what I want to say. Mm-hmm. And people will have to deal with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Just accepting that part of it. So what is your relationship with that? Yeah, I think that I can't even believe how big of a deal this is to me. But I think running from stand-up for a long time made me really insecure as a person. And now that I'm doing it, and even if it's not even related to stand-up, I mean, honestly, even coming here, like coming here today, this could have been something that I was really nervous to do mm-hmm. that I really felt like I didn't deserve. I, can't, I, I literally think you asked me so early on and I haven't done much yet. That would have crippled me, pre- previous mm. iterations of me, of being like, oh, my God, I don't deserve this. Da, 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 da. Mm. And I, I feel like today I, I was able to approach it with like a, well, we'll just talk and we'll see what this yeah. is, you know. And I think, again, I'm not done. I'm not healed. But I think that exactly like what you said, the risk I take doing something like stand-up that, like, people could hate it. I bomb all the time, right? Mm-hmm. I do bad sets all the time. I wanted to avoid that pain, so I stopped doing it, and then I didn't like myself. Uh-huh. And now that I'm, like, running towards the pain yeah. and sometimes the amazing parts of it, I feel more capable of being myself in all situations. Right, right. And I did not realize the power that this thing had over me. And I think as artists, it's like we all know what we should be doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like physiologically. Like I might not know in my mind, but I know what I should be doing. Yeah. Your and your heart knows. Your, your, yeah. Your this, body knows. The same as when you – I don't remember if you were on the mic when you said this, but the same as when you started doing this mm-hmm. and how it mm-hmm. just felt aligned. Yeah. I feel like that, that – carries into other parts of your life and Mm -hmm. you start feeling like i'm 40 you know right yeah (laughs) yeah yeah exactly there is this way in which bombing as a solo performer like in some ways it is the most mortifying thing you can possibly imagine totally but it's better than bombing at your life you (laughs) know it's totally better at bombing (laughs) in your life that's that's a beautiful way to encapsulate, like, the choice. Mm-hmm. You just have to do what you like to be doing. Yeah. Well, it's almost like the way you described in talking about the backflip joke, you talked about this feeling of sexuality is this thing where you're like, I have this thing in my pocket, but I do- what do I do with it? What do I do with it? <laughs> and it, 
it almost feels like you could think of your stand-up as the same way, but yeah. that you've like now you're taking it out of the pocket. Totally. Totally. That's what a sweet encapsulation. Yeah, I think it was like there the whole time, like burning a hole in my mm-hmm. pocket. And I was mm-hmm. just like, nah, I'm good. I don't even want to look at it. I'm not even <laughs> looking at the wound, you know? And then it's like, no, but like you're like you're you need help. You need medical help because it's burning you. <laughs> Well, Becky, thank you so much for coming here today. Thank Uh, you. It's been really wonderful to talk to you. I had such a good time. I really appreciate it. Midnight Disease is hosted, produced, mixed, and edited by me, Sam Dingman. My thanks to my guest, Becky Granger, whose work, again, you can find online at BeckDaddyG on Instagram and BeckDad on TikTok. Our show art is by M.K. Cummins, and if you have thoughts about anything you've heard today or any other time on The Midnight Disease, you can email me, and I would love to hear from you. Midnight at WALT.FM is the email address. If you'd like to read more of my ruminations and reflections on Substack, you can find it at samdingman.substack.com. And don't forget to come back on Friday of this week for another installment of Dingmantics. Thank you so much for letting your madness ride with mine. I'll talk to you on Friday, and until then, keep driving. You're listening to WALT. Homegrown. Homemade radio.